All right, Anton McKee, welcome to the podcast. How are you, my friend? Doing great. It's a pleasure to be on here. And uh, yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, well, thanks for reaching out. You know, I know that we've known each other for a while. I, I was the head coach at Auburn, as you know, and you were, the, you were a swimmer at University of Alabama, so we competed against each other. But I always, I always knew you and respected you and, and had a lot, of, um, a lot of respect for what you did and how you did. You were always very competitive, man. You were tough to beat, but you always uh, came up and shook hands and were very polite. And um, I, lo- I just love the way you went about doing things. I always had a lot of respect for you. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, we had a little fun rivalry going on there for a couple of years. But um, no, um, it's just, that's, I guess, one of the great things about swimming. You know, we can be, you know, rivals in the pool, but then, you know, anything outside of the pool, it's, you know, the opportunity to get to meet all these different, you know, kinds of people and just having, having that opportunity is a real privilege, you know, especially for me being able to travel all around the world coming from Iceland, you know, so uh, just experiencing a bunch of unique, unique uh, moments. Yeah, man. Well, that's the first obvious question. How in the hell did you become a swimmer growing up in Iceland? Well, it's actually funny. We have a lot of swimming pool in Iceland. So we have a lot of geothermal heat. So actually, I guess the operating costs of the pool itself are a little, little lower for us in general. And it's also kind of a cultural thing for, you know, each small town, no matter like how I, th- I think uh, there's a town that I have a summer house in. Well, my parents that has like population of 300 people and they still have like a, I guess like a 16 yard pool. So it's like, no matter how small the community is, there's always a pool there. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean there's a rich culture for, you know, developing good swimmers. But uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to, you know, start swimming at a young age and then having, um, I guess what really propelled me into, I guess, like being competitive at a young age was I swam for uh, a French coach uh, named Jackie Pellerin, who uh, really developed me into, you know, having the opportunity to go to the States in the first place. Mm, nice man well, so what's uh, I, i've got so many questions about iceland i'm i'm fascinated now i'm looking at a map actually right now just just to determine where it is and what it looks like and um like i've always known kind of whereabouts but uh when you look at it on a map it's pretty isolated it's it's stuck between greenland and kind of norway sweden area but it's it's a pretty big island right yeah but um it's funny, the, uh, the only big like population center is going to be Reykjavik. That's where over half our population lives. And then you have some population centers, I guess, scattered around the island. But um, people only live on the, uh, on the coastline. No one really lives inland. And it's, uh, it's yeah, it's an interesting place. It was yeah, actually funny, like the first time when I came to the state. So, like, I guess, you know, if, if anyone has heard anything about Iceland, you know, about, you know, beautiful nature and all that. Um, the very first thing that I noticed when I came to the States was I was fascinated by the uh, drive down from the Birmingham um, airport down to Tuscaloosa was all the trees that you, you guys had in the States because we don't have any of those in Iceland, or at least not a lot. So what is the population of Iceland? Uh, I think we're around 360,000 right now. So wow. not that, not, not too many. And what's the, um, what's the official language? Icelandic, so we got a little secret code that we can, you know, most often speak amongst ourselves while abroad. Oh, wow. Icelandic. What does it uh, compare to? So, um, 
close to Danish and uh, Swedish and Norwegian. Um, so I guess sort of develop out of those uh, old Norse languages. Uh, however, Iceland being so, I guess, isolated from all of the, you know, trends and changes that went through in Europe through languages, um, Icelandic sort of, you know, took its own path. So we can somewhat understand those uh, languages today, but they have a really hard time knowing what we're saying. Now, if you were to sell Iceland to somebody in terms of, you know, them wanting to go there or they should go there, what are the things that Iceland is known for or famous for or you're just proud of? Well, I mean, nature-wise, I think there's nothing quite like it. It's, uh, you know, almost alien-like, the uh, the nature, and just, you know, it's really, really peaceful. You know, you can drive half an hour out of Reykjavik or capital area and you're pretty much just in, you know, the wild, you know, you'll be one with nature. So, um, you know, definitely going there for, I guess, you know, the sort of ecotourism, I guess that's like our, our main thing. Um, and also, uh, I mean, in my opinion, the people are friendly once you get to know them. Um, and, uh, I don't know really, really, if you want to go there for food, we do have great seafood. So if that's what you want to go for, then uh, we should be a sure bet. What kind of fish do you eat up there? Um, one of my favorite is uh, just uh, baked cod, that my, a recipe that my mom always makes. And now that I'm living by myself, I'm trying to uh, master on my own. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just uh, love cod, haddock. Um, one of my favorite fish is also monkfish. Um, but yeah. That's awesome, man. I love it. I, I mean, I'm fascinated. You guys have hot springs too. I love, I love hot springs. Are they, are they kind of all around the island? Yeah. So you'll have some natural ones that I guess, you know, the uh, old Vikings used to bathe in. And so they're more in, I guess, re- remote areas and um, I guess off the beaten paths so where you have to sort of hike towards them. Um, some are more popular than, than others. Um, but yeah, for some, it'll just be you um, sitting in some, you know, hot river uh, that's just being heated by geothermal power. Uh, then it's all, also funny, um, the Bulagoon, which is probably what Iceland's most famous for, is actually this run- runoff water from our uh, one of our geothermal plants that's in the close vicinity of the Bulagoon. So it's this runoff water that, you know, this is in the yeah he- heating of the area. And uh, I mean, hey, people love it and it's beautiful, but it's not natural. Mm. Well, it makes sense then that, that swimming is part of the culture. I mean, you're surrounded by water. There's water throughout the island. And uh, it, it, it does make sense that you'd have a natural uh, affiliation with the water. When, when did you start swimming? Swimming when I was uh, five years old. So like I talked about the uh, culture aspect of, um, I guess, going to the swimming pool. We have a lot of hot tubs as well in the, in the pools. And so that's sort of what people do, like, you know, after they finish work. And so... I always tagged along uh, my parents when they, you know, went to the pool after work and uh, just, you know, relax and, and uh, hang out and chat. And I would just always be playing around, around in the water. And then, the, you know, most logical thing was send me off for swimming lessons, you know, because I was always there. And so that's sort of where, you know, I guess all started. Mm. Did you have any inspirations growing up? Like who are the fa- who's the most famous swimmer to ever come out of Iceland? Uh, the most famous swimmer to ever come out of Iceland would be Arnason. He was a uh, amazing backstroker around uh, like late 1990s and uh, 
to uh, early 2000s. He was a amazing swimmer. I think he was a European champion. Um, and then in the 200 backstroke, and then I also think he got fourth at the Olympics. I'm trying to remember where it was either 2000 or 2004. I'm not quite sure, but yeah. So that was like, I guess my role model growing up. Um, he was in the same club as me. So, I, you know, get to see him in the pool every now and then. So, mm. so it was really, really cool. Do they show swimming on TV there or just the Olympics? It's more just the big meets that get shown. It's not really, I guess, out of like the sports that are popular. I wouldn't really, you know, say swimming would be one of, one of the top five. So they don't, they don't broadcast it unless it's just, you know, the big meets. No, no smaller meets will get broadcasted. Oh, but okay. yeah, th- thankfully, you know, whenever it's Europeans or World Championships, Olympics, you know, we'll have some, some publicity. And so, what are the top? What are the top sports in Iceland? Uh, the top two are, without doubt, soccer and handball. We absolutely love those sports. We've always been really good in handball at the international level. Uh, we got a silver medal in two thousand eight at the Olympics, uh, and we could have gone pretty far as well in two thousand twelve. And then for soccer, you know, it's been a, a growing sport for us as well. We were able to, what was it, quarterfinals in the uh, European Cup 2016, was that it, or, eight, or 18? I'm, I'm not sure on the years, but yeah, so it's been, um, those have like been the two main sports that I, you know, probably got most of the attention or uh, what to say, publicity. Well, listen, man, we need some swimming up there. Come on. No one cares about, <laughs> no one cares about handball. Come on. Let's, let's hey. be serious. So, let, you know, we need a swim to, to do some, do some work this year, man. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Big year for me. So I'm very excited. So this will be your third Olympics. Um, you've qualified already, right? Yeah. I was fortunate enough to qualify uh, in a 200 breaststroke in Guangzhou. So now it's just been the preparation mode for me um, for the big show. Yeah. Interesting. Now you've had a, an interesting kind of journey, you know, when did you really start to take off in swimming? That would be my first question. Tell me that. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm mean, going to guess growing up for me and going to all the AIDS group meets in Iceland, uh, you know, I was never really the swimmer who would, you know, excel. Like there's not a lot of like age group records that I've like ever said. Um, and I, I guess it was maybe around uh, the year, like, when I'm turning, like, 16, 17, that's really, you know, when I'm starting to make big improvements and, like, finally able to, I guess, either beat everyone in, you know, in my age, age group or, you know, just in, in uh, I guess, a long distance events, you know, finally uh, becoming an Icelandic champion. It's, you know, it's funny how everything's a matter of perspective was huge for me at the time. So it's... Uh, it's been a it's been a fun fun transition and so well, i guess my, my my main message you know from that would be you know it's all about that perseverance and you know i guess just following following your heart and not giving up your on your dreams you know especially if uh if you're in this those development years mm. well i mean it's interesting because you know you have to deal with the elements as well like swimming it's one of the sports where you've got to get up early in the morning, you've got to go late in the afternoon. So I imagine in wintertime, it's extremely cold in Iceland, right? What, what are the temperatures when you're getting up for morning practice? 
Well, it's not. So thankfully, I have a golf stream to keep things a little temperate. Obviously, you know, temperature will go below freezing, but you know, maybe being in the in in the teens, you know, only only rarely will it go, you know, down to maybe around I don't know zero or single digit numbers. But it was always funny, you know, maybe being being one of the first people who were you know waking up and driving on the road, maybe after a heavy heavy night of snow and like the um, the like trucks hadn't you know paid the road yet so it was just for me fortunately driving my uh, father's land cruiser to practice <laughs> to be able to you know get there all the way yeah well i know i tell this story to a lot of kids when i go to clinics you know around the age of 16 my dad bought me a bike and said you know that's how you're going to get to practice from now on because i don't want to get up that early in the morning i, I got work and you know, I'm falling asleep at work and things like that. Did you have a situation like that where your parents were like, we don't want to take you to morning practice. It's freezing outside. Is there anything like that? No, I was very fortunate. And, um, you know, I guess it's only as you grow up and you start living your own life, you realize all the sacrifices your parents have put in throughout, you know, your career. Like literally I would not have the chances that I had today, you know, without their uh, sacrifices, you know, especially my, you know, dad or a mom getting up and, you know, driving me to practice. So, mm. yeah. so you know, always very, very grateful and thankful to them, especially now that I'm still trying to get up at this early hour. <laughs> yeah, no, we're all, a lot of swimmers are very much the same, I guess, no matter where you're from in the world. Now, so the next part of the question is how do you end up in Alabama of all places? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure all international students have this same question, you know, thrown at them around the, the time of they're going to graduate high school. It's like, we want to pursue swimming and see how far we can, we can take something that we're so very passionate about. Um, but again, at the same time, set ourselves up for a great future. And I'd really think, I mean, I know there are a couple of countries that have a very good system in, in, in place, but you know, at least not in Iceland, there was no collaboration between the academic institutions and the uh, sports uh, facilities or programs. So what that pretty much meant if I wanted to be able to balance both in a healthy manner, it was just going to the States. Um, and so that's why, I mean, I had like you know, dangled with the idea about staying home in Iceland, but I think it was around uh, January, I finally, you know, fully committed to going to the States and started a very expedited recruiting process um, it's actually funny, like, you know, I'm, I'm talking to some kids in Iceland now and, you know, it's funny how the recruiting process has changed, you know, for me, that's what, six months prior to me showing up in Alabama, mm. in Tuscaloosa. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that would have been possible, like with the, the uh, recruiting environment that's going on today. It's like two years prior to your graduation, you have mm. to, you know, start all these processes. So mm. I guess I was very fortunate. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, Denny, uh, Denny and Jonty were building up this, uh, you know, exciting program in Alabama. So uh, that was something that I was very excited about. And for some strange reason, there was a rich heritage of people going to the University of Alabama from Iceland in like 80s and 90s. There was a lot of like old swimmers and some track athletes that have been there. So, you know, everyone I talked to, they, you know, once they heard that I was going to Bama, were very excited and enthusiastic about me going there. So, you know, just a, uh, well, both also like, you know, the whole, whole scholarship aspect, you know, we don't save up for college in Iceland, like I guess other, other American families do. So it was, it was a combination of, I guess, time, money, and also just uh, 
that heritage of people going to Bama that uh, made me made me commit to going there. Very happy that I went there. You know, I was also guys following be all in aspect on uh, on sports. You know, with well, both Bama and Auburn focusing heavily on you know excelling in, in sports. Yeah, no, you. I mean, you had an amazing career there. You did fantastic, but um, you were recruited primarily as a distance swimmer at the time, right? Yeah, so um, my at my first Olympics, and also I guess every big meet up until that point, I was always in the mile and the four a.m. and the uh, and the four, four free, and then I show up on campus, and two months later, I'm officially a breaststroker. So that was a that was a very fun transition that went on there. Wow, how was that? Who made that decision? How'd that happen? So we had the intro squad meets. tried out there in main events. Um, I obviously swam the 4am in that meet, the 5-3 probably, maybe, maybe the 1,000. And then uh, at the World Championships prior to coming to Bama, I had swam the uh, two breast This is an off event because it was the last event of that meet. And, you know, I, I think I put up a time almost like either 2.15 or 2.16. So like decent time. Um, but not obviously where my focus was. And then, and then he said, you know what, we're going to put you in the, uh, in the two breasts for fun. And uh, yeah, and that's, I think I beat, beat like every other breast girl on the team at that point. And that's, uh, that's when I guess first started like notice that I could become a breast girl on the team. And then uh, at our first dual meet against Delta state, I entered a two in the breast as well. And I think, I'm not quite sure what time I went. I think it went, went maybe 159, but again, beat all the other breaststrokers. And so it, it just went on, you know, with the domains that we're racing at, you know, always entering me in these uh, long distance events and then also the breaststroke. And um, I think it was like two months in, they, you know, then he sat me down and he, your call, but, you know, you have the option if you want to just, you know, to dedicate half your time, you know, here training only breaststroke you know we'll keep you in the uh, distance group as well for a little while and then you know once that call was made uh, I think a month month later I was only training breaststroke with the squad wow. and that was under uh, under uh, David Persley, Persley. so uh, uh, then Denny's son was coaching the uh, breaststroke and IM group so that was uh, that was a fun fun period transitioning from never doing breaststroke and uh, yeah making that that's your main thing I still remember my first couple of practices. So obviously all skill development, there was not a lot in breaststroke that I had done. So I was doing, you know, all these breaststroke deals with the people that I've been swimming breaststroke for their entire life. And, you know, maybe it was, uh, you know, 25 yard underwater with two pullouts. Like there was no way for me to do that. So I still remember literally falling apart or just breaking down after practice, uh, coming up and talking to Jonty about how I just, you know, I just couldn't take it anymore. It was so hard for me to, you know, adjust to breaststroke. And uh, he gave me some great mental exercises uh, to recite every day. And um, thankfully, I was able to persevere and just fully, fully become a breaststroker. Wow. It's it's interesting because we talk to kids all the time and they and parents too. And, and they say, you know, should my kids be specializing at 12 and 13? And what should they be doing here and there? And, uh, and we tell them all the time, like, we, I would see athletes come in and have very similar stories to you in college. 
and end up being something that they never thought they may be. You know, they may come in a butterfly and end up a backstroker or come in an IMA and end up a, a sprinter or, or, you know, we see it all the time, but um, this is a pretty amazing story to come from distance swimming to, to pretty much sprint breaststroke is what you ended up becoming. Um, it's pretty crazy. No, it was a, it was a fun time. Um, I guess, at the, you know, at the same time, I think I was a little fed up with the distance, you know, not necessarily the most fun thing to train and, and race in. And so, you know, when the opportunity presented itself, I was very happy with, with taking it. But also, you know, touching upon that point that you mentioned with, you know, the parents, like, you know, should my kid be specializing at, a, at, a, specializing at an early age, you know, focusing I'm not saying everyone should be focusing on long distance when they're young, but like this, this base that I developed, that's still something that I'm benefiting from today. And, you know, allowed me to like, you know, I built up a solid foundation, solid engine that, you know, only required some maintenance as I went on through college, instead of having to build up, you know, that aerobic threshold. So, you know, transitioning into a, you know, especially the uh, 200 uh, breaststroke, that was something that was very natural, you know, took some fine tuning and, you know, developing some, uh, some sprint muscles for the 100 and the, and, and the 50. But, you know, that's something that, that became very naturally and also allowed me to, you know, train hard in all the sprint workouts, you know, because I had such a strong long distance base. So, you know, I think that's something that can benefit anyone especially at a, at a young age coming up and then, you know, having that chance to specialize in anything they want to, I guess, at a, at a later time, you know, when they will also, you know, hit puberty and starting to do, develop some muscle power, you know, I think, uh, I think that's a, it's a solid combination. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this as the coach of the opposing team, the one that uh, had a pretty strong rivalry, I was certainly shocked to see you come in and have the impact that you had immediately. Um, never heard of you to be quite honest and then all of a sudden they've got this world-class breaststroker who'd never swum breaststroke before i'm like how does that even happen <laughs> it was it was not a fun thing to be dealing with on the other side but obviously for you it was a lot of fun how quickly did you have success in the breaststrokes like when did you win your first major races so it was it was quite shocking so we um we started the season and i think in one of the dual meets i hit uh 157 two in a breaststroke in yards and then i think i was around 54 maybe went around same times at mid-season um it was maybe 56 or uh if i'm recalling correctly and then around 55 um and then we go to secs and yeah i don't know like where these things came from i dropped down to 51 7 and then i think a 50 151 high as well like in the 200 so it was a very rapid um you know success that that came there and so that was that was incredibly exciting something that you know blew away all of my expectations like i had hoped maybe senior year to go 151 on the 200 breaststroke and then i was just doing it immediately i you know my freshman year so, you know, carried that wave into the summer, um, race of the LA invite. And I went, I think 210 and yeah, 210 in the 200, uh, and around one double O in the hundred. So I'd made, made a very solid, uh, transition into becoming a breaststroker. And then unfortunately that, um, that summer I took some time off and was having 
I guess, too much fun boogie boarding uh, in Newport Beach and uh, managed to fracture my clavicle. So that was some uh, interesting recovery time that went on there the um, the fall of the 2014 season. Mm. Yes, well, I, I've got to be honest with you, and um, I'm not really proud to say this, but when I first heard the news that you broke your clavicle, I, I was kind of... I don't know what the word is. Happy is not the word, but I wasn't, I wasn't unhappy, you know? <laughs> um, and, uh, and I'm embarrassed to say that because you came on like a bullet a gay man. You were just destroying everybody. And I thought this, this kid is incredible. And you were, and, um, and I, and I would never want to, I would never wish an injury on anybody, but, um, but yeah, that, that happened. And obviously you had to face that and, and it took some time, right? It, it, was, it wasn't something that you overcame really quickly either, was it? No, it's sort of, um, well, it was a rather, I guess, you know, well, I mean, obviously a lot of athletes go through injuries. Um, I guess that was my, I was lucky and had a rel- relatively, you know, uh, healthy career up until that point. Never any like major issues that would take me out of the pool. So I guess I didn't have a lot of experience uh, dealing with that. And so it was both obviously very physical, but I think the side that I lacked the most in was uh, was mental. And I think that's still a side that I'm, you know, growing today. And so I wish I had, you know, put more emphasis on, you know, mental strength that I had at an earlier age as an athlete to be able to take on these, uh, you know, um, speed bumps that may come along the road when you least expect them. But yeah, so that was a, um, Fortunately, I was able to, you know, obviously get access to the, well, you know, I guess the best doctors in the U.S. through the University of Alabama. Um, I got a nice uh, platinum plate right now on my right clavicle. So I think the recovery time, what was it? I think it was back in the, so this happened in uh, late, well, I guess beginning of August, I think. And then I have the surgery middle of August and I think I'm back in the water um, around October kicking a little bit. And then I think it's around November that I'm cleared to swim, um, just normal. And so it was a very, very tough transition coming in. And obviously freestyle was the only stroke that I was able to do at the time, really. And so breaststroke was still at the table. Um, and so what we decided to do instead was just go all in on developing the base again that we had sort of lost. And so five free sort of became the main focus again. So as I say, quite funny, that was the best year for family free in my college history that, uh, that called one break year. But yeah, then, um, you know what happened to it? Just like, you know, not that there's like limited range of motion in the area right now. It was just a different feel for, you know, breaststroke, you know, when they cut me up, you know, I lost some, you know, they, they cut through some nerves. So I didn't have any like, you know, feeling at all, like in the shoulder area down to the bicep. Thankfully, that's grown all back today. But so getting the feel, the technical feel for the breaststroke especially, was very tough. And um, I think I was able to get close to my breaststroke times relatively in 2014. I had an amazing 503 year. I think I'm on a 414, something I'm still very proud of today compared to the fact that I'll be training for like two and a half months before uh, the conference meets. Um, and then that summer, um, well, yeah, I think that's summer 2015, right? And it wasn't until, I guess, then, yeah, late July that I'm able to put up times that are relatively, you know, gets close to what I was, what I was going against. So it was a whole year of recovery time, just, in, in, you know, 
terms of getting back to the point where I was prior. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I could see it took a while, but, um, but you've also got some Viking blood, man. You should have, you should have the mental strength too, right? Isn't that part of the culture? <laughs> <laughs> I wish, I wish that, um, actually one of the most, I guess, traumatizing things that was, um, you know, for me that I guess put me in a little mental prison that, you know, obviously I'd come in as a freshman and, you know, had a huge impact on, on you know, the team, I guess from a, uh, you know, scoring, uh, scoring perspective and just being a, you know, solid core foundation of the team, you know, team success, uh, both at SECs and NCAAs and also, you know, at, at dual meets. And so just knowing that I could not, you know, put in my share or, you know, help the team out as I wanted to. That was something that was incredibly difficult because I guess I had looked at myself, you know, only as a role of a scorer or, you know, a swimmer that, you know, swims fast. And so it was a very good learning opportunity to, and, you know, uh, and honestly, it's a quite humbling experience to, you know, having to sit on the sideline and, um, just really change your role instead of being a swimmer, you're a motivator. You're someone who can inspire all the people to do well. So like, you know, and, and getting both, you know, pleasure and happiness from seeing other people, you know, do well while you'll just, you know, sitting there sitting and, and watching. So, mm. so that was something that I had to, had to learn. And, um, and I'm really, really glad that I was able to learn that because afterwards, I, you know, I believe in my own personal opinion, hope the other swimmers that I swim with may think the same. You know, I, I became much more of a, of a team player and both invested in, uh, in, in their success and just uh, overall less pressure on myself from a, you know, oh, I'm only supposed to swim faster. You know, there's, there, there's more to Anton than just that. Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting point you bring up because I, I think, uh, I think, you, you know, I, saw, I see that a lot, you know, the athletes lose their identity when, when something like that happens a little bit and you, and you, you don't know where you fit or you're, you're almost ashamed in a way because you had this huge role and now it's been taken away and you don't know what your role is now. So it's, it's interesting that you had to find your way through that as well. You think as a foreign athlete that uh, you are more appreciative or, um, thankful for the opportunities that you were given, um, or do you think that, that that's just who you are? Well, that's an inter interesting question. Um, I don't know if international students would, would be more appreciative. I guess it's just a step for us. Then I don't know. Maybe the the American swimmers that that we were teammates with. You know, because for us, it's it's more than just, you know, going to college. It's, you know, completely cut on the court from home, like 100%. You know, I know you're still moving away from home here, here in the States, you know, probably moving maybe halfway across the country. But, um, you know, it's it's, it's like the, the first step into a, into a new life where your support system is, is really, you know, cut off and you, and you have to sort of maybe, you know, figure your own way out and so i guess that was maybe the main thing that i saw from the other international athletes and myself yeah yeah that's true i i, th I think that's um you know the the international athletes that i felt like had the most success were the ones that were able to 
embrace their new surroundings, embrace the new culture and really um, not, not forget about where they came from, but let go of some of that stuff a little bit. Obviously you grow up eating different things for breakfast and speaking a different language and maybe having different customs and, and um, celebrations at different times of year. And, and I always found the ones that could not let go of where they came from were the ones that really struggled with performing in their new environment. Did you have to make a conscious effort to let go of some of that stuff? No, I think um, for the most part, well, at least, you know, the, the atmosphere that I was, I, I felt was just, you know, a rich, rich level of, of support, you know, so both this realizing the fact that, you know, your swimmers that are around you are going to become your new family. It's going to become your best friends and, you know, taking full advantage of that, you know, also looking at it from like, you know, an opportunity, uh, opportunity standpoint, there are not a lot of people that, you know, get to race at this level, you know, even though it's just college, like still there's a lot of athletes out there that don't get to, you know, experience that. And so both, taking it in as an, as a, as a privilege. And then, yeah, just looking at it from, from that aspect sort of, I guess, allowed me to mm. really get accustomed to, to the new surroundings and um, I guess call Tuscaloosa home for four years. Yeah. What are the things that you really loved about Tuscaloosa and, and the university of Alabama? Well, for one, it was the fact that I could wear shorts in January once it stopped being cold. That was uh, that was quite the change. Um, <laughs> but I, I was actually a factor into my cost decision. Like it had to be warm, you know, done with the cold for uh, yeah. for eighteen years. Mm. Um, um, but no, I, I think you know. Well, from a um, athletics and academic standpoint, I think it was the support. Like um, that was something that I you know didn't even know fully understand and. And appreciate before I was able to, you know, get there and fully experience it. It was just the fact that, you know, having like study halls and, you know, allowing having the opportunity to succeed like in an academic setting as well as being an athlete, that's something that I will always, you know, be thankful for. Um, so I guess the opportunities that I have today is something that, you know, are built upon the fact that I got a, got a good degree from Bama. Um, no, then also just, you know, the food, um, the culture as well, I think is a very growing experience going from Iceland into a very, you know, I guess the Southern parts of the United States is just, you know, I guess the way I grew up culturally is not necessarily the perfect match for, uh, Southern United States. And so it was a very good uh, experience, you know, meeting people that shared different worldviews than you did and you know you can still you know be best friends and you know have great fun together so that was uh that was, that was a fun experience mm. that's awesome man I'm, I'm really glad you had that and and i had a very similar experience at, at Auburn as well you know coming from australia it was totally different for me culturally and a lot of people like where are you going? You going to Alabama? Uh, yeah. <laughs> why, why would you want to live there? But, uh, you know, I agree, you know, you, you have different, completely different worldviews. You know, I had, um, I had someone that I went to school with, uh, I was in class with her and, and she said, where are you from? I said, I'm from Australia. She's like, Oh wow. Your English is very good. <laughs> I said, thank you. So yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, that's, that's the kind of experience you have, you know, but, um, when did you actually start learning English? I mean, obviously it's not your first language, but you do speak very good English. 
Yeah, fortunately, uh, we started learning English at a young age in Iceland. Um, I can't remember exactly, but I think we studied English, English for around like eight years, maybe, before we go to go, go to college. So, you know, that allows you to go pretty much anywhere in the world, you know, with the um, foundation that you have. But it's also quite funny, all the, like, majority of the media that we consume in, in Iceland is all just, you know, the hollywood content or whatever it is just with subtitles so you know you're exposed to that at a very young age so you start learning you know at a more rapid pace and you know i still remember you know some memories from when i was you know playing pokemon on my game boy and we go ask my dad like what what all these words mean so you know we're constantly exposed to english so i guess the transition for me taking all those entrance exams and all that that wasn't as a painful of an experience as i guess some of my some of my teammates have yeah, that's funny. No, I mean, uh, academics were very important to you too, and you did really well. You were named the SEC um, Academic Athlete of the Year in all sports, I think in 2016-17. What did you end up studying at Alabama, and why did you pick that route? No, that was a, that was a great honor. I was very, you know, it was very sweet to get that, you know, that one grand prize, you know, after – Happened to guess, you know, put a lot of uh, blood, sweat, and tears into the academic side as well, because I truly believe it's very important. And also, you know, the system allows for you to succeed in both. You don't only have to succeed, you know, swimming or uh, one or the other. But I studied uh, management information systems. Um, it's sort of a half computer science, half business major, if that makes any sense. So we don't go as deep into all the algorithms and um, more focus on the business side from the value, I guess, like to the corporate world, you know, from IT. So it's like, I guess, you know, preparing to become a technical program manager or something like, like that. So it was, um, it was a very, and, and the reason I chose to take that route is, um, I guess that's, you know, when all this swimming is, you know, done, I'm very, you know, interested in joining the uh, technology sector. So hopefully I can, you know, you know, stay here in the States and, uh, and to pursue that career. But, uh, you know, that was the one that I, you know, believe would set me up, you know, pretty, pretty well for that. And also just looking at, I guess, the, the whole way, the way the world is changing, everything's becoming more dependent on computers. So I figured out, you know, I guess future proof myself for a couple of years, but taking that major. Mm, yeah. Now, have you gone into the workforce since leaving college at all? Yeah, so I, I guess, have had a very interesting journey to these uh, Tokyo Olympics. So, obviously, after um, Rio, I had one more year left. So, swam that out, got best times in the uh, 200, finally again. So, I actually didn't improve my breaststroke um, times, you know, um, since freshman year. But fortunately, I was able to uh, improve them. Um, 2017 before I before I graduated um and then at that point I thought I was done with swimming like honestly I was quite fed up um thought I'd done everything that I wanted and honestly felt like I was missing out on other parts of my life you know for example like you know getting that working experience seeing all of you know my friends and acquaintances both in Iceland and the U.S. you know getting all these you know fancy jobs and that's that was something you know, that I, you know, at the time thought I really had to do um, now, obviously in a, with a very different view on those things. But, but yeah, after, uh, after I graduated, took like um, two months off to uh, stay home in Iceland. And then I um, joined uh, Erson Young as a technology consultant up in Boston. 
And so I was working as a consultant for, for about, I want to say like six months, something like that, before I just realized that I did not think very clearly when I took the decision to completely end my instrument career. You know, I went to the pool a couple of times just for fun, you know, and it was strange. Um, not that I, no, I like I truly loved swimming for the college team and fighting every single time that I went in the pool to get points for the team and being a part of the team. That's something, you know, that's an experience that I'm so fortunate to have and I'll always look fondly upon those upon those years. But but now it's uh, it's a it's a different different love that I have for swimming. Now I'm just swimming purely for my own like you know well being and and happiness. You know. When I when I started swimming again after those six months and the complete you know I guess cold turkey from swimming it was just sort of freeing you know I wasn't you know focusing or thinking about anything you know I just felt great in the water and felt so light and so you know I eventually started thinking about a comeback and um, started to get more serious about training uh, reached out to my old college coach Will Lenhard and um, we just went on to uh, yeah what was it one and a half year remote training program where I would sort of switch my swimming week around where, you know, Monday would start on a Thursday and then the week would end on, end on the following Monday. So sort of taking two days off there because with, with the working schedule that I had, it was impossible to put a swim crazy. So at the beginning it was only like three or four uh, swim workouts with um, maybe like five lifting sessions in there. And then, you know, at the later stages, I was able to get swimming up to maybe five or six workouts with uh, maybe four or five weight, weight workouts. But yeah, the consulting lifestyle was, was quite strange and having to try to excel and, and do good with, with those constraints was uh, quite interesting. So um, yeah, consulting industry has a, you know, quite demanding work hours. Obviously, you get great experience instead, but it's not very compatible with trying to excel in sports at the same time. Mm. Um, and it's a travel lifestyle. So, I would, you know, Monday mornings I would travel out to the client location and then on Thursday afternoons I'd come back. And um, so I'd always try to like, you know, hit the pool in the, in the morning before I'd fly. And then as soon as I'd come back, I'd try to, uh, <laughs> I'd try to get back into the pool um, on, on Thursday evenings and then um, swim in whatever hotel pools I could find wow. while, I was, while I was on my engagement during the week. Mm, that's that's it's crazy but it's you know sometimes you got to do what you got to do to survive right but um so then you ultimately make the decision to come back full-time and leave work for was work supportive first of all and then where did you decide to how'd you end up with Sergio Lopez yeah so it was it was quite interesting you know when um I was going up into the the for the world championships in Guangzhou, I uh, you know, I really started to think about just like how am I gonna do this if I you know qualify for Tokyo? Am I gonna keep doing what I'm doing right now? Um, and then knowing when I'd step on the blocks at Tokyo that I would I would just have to take whatever I would get. I couldn't put like high expectations on my results or Mm. my placing because I knew I would always know deep down that I wouldn't have done everything 
my power to be as well prepared as I possibly could. Mm. And like, you know, being as well prepared as possible would only mean one thing. And that would be, you know, to take, take a leave from work. And so, you know, once I sort of realized that I started to navigate the idea with both my, you know, boss and then also leadership at the, at the firm. And I was, um, fortunate enough you know i i go to guangzhou uh world champs and i i swam uh in the prelims i think i was what 0.03 under the uh a cut and then 200 breast mm. so you know thrilled can't believe i actually also did that with the training that i was doing it's also you know kind of you know speaks to speaks volumes to like you know after you develop a certain base you don't have to swim as much to go fast times I'm not saying that you shouldn't train a lot but you know as you get older you can get more you know creative with your training schedules but um mm. yeah and that's like just decided to you know pull the trigger and just go all in on swimming i was able to get a personal leave of absence from work so you know after tokyo if i you know choose to do so i can still come back and uh wow. and join ui but you know, that's still something that I'm trying to decide if I'm going to go go back to or just, you know, ride out the swimming wave all the way until, you know, I've been pushed up to shore and it's, and it's dried out, you know, because it's an opportunity that I only get once in my, you know, lifetime. And it's also why I'm, you know, I guess swimming with a lot more gratitude than, than previously. Um, but yeah, so now it's just all in with swimming and the reason why I decided to go down with uh, Sergio Lopez is just pretty much, you know, I obviously heard that he was the breaststroke whisperer and uh, yeah. wanted to, obviously wanted to train with a, uh, with a breaststroke. And uh, I had known Sergio through, you know, a- Alabama as well. He was um, a part of your staff, I believe, for, all, yeah. uh, for some while. So I you know, just knew of him there and then uh, decided to reach out to say, hey, you know, I want to swim, swim and, and, uh, and go for it. And he was, he was very receptive. And um, yeah, I guess the rest is history. Now I'm in Blacksburg training full time. Back to the freezing cold. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, well, that's cool. Uh, I mean, it's an amazing story, man. You've had an incredible journey. And I think when you look back on your life later on, when you're more my age in your 40s, you're going to you're going to be pretty amazed at the things that you've done, the places you've seen. And um, it's incredible. And I think it's uh, really inspirational for a lot of kids, you know, who, who look up to people like you. And so are you, are you thinking that there's a possibility that you could get maybe into the final or maybe on the podium? I mean, you're looking at it that way or how, how are you approaching this? Um, so I've actually been trying to like, you know, like I talked about the mental side, that's something that I've been trying to, work out on a lot especially these um months leading up to tokyo and 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 one of those things has obviously been goal setting and like how to set those goals um and for me so you like you know ask me like you know finals you know this and that i've more just set a time that i want to go and then wherever that time you know places me that will be it because i think as soon as you i mean obviously we all want to win i'm not saying that that's something that i don't want to do but what i'm what i'm trying to say is as soon as you start setting goals related to places you've taken the goal out of your control you're like i, I can't control 
what time all the other 200 breaststroke guys are going to go in Tokyo. That's something that's completely out of my reach. Um, but what I can control is the time that I want to go and I will be happy with, you know, regardless of where I end up, you know, if I get, you know, obviously, like, you know, we set high goals and maybe may not be able to meet them hundred percent, but you know, if, you know, taking a, taking a good step towards them, then that's, you know, all I'll be, I'll be, you know, able to focus on. I'll be very happy with, you know, whatever the outcome of that would be. Yeah. Does, does that make sense? Sort of like yeah. you know, take, taking the goal from everybody else and, you know, putting on on you and you having full control over it because then no one can, you know, because like if you would go like, it's, it's like, it's like funny, like for example, in, in races when you, where you see two guys break, you know, the world records, like the dude who got second but still broke the world record, he's probably pissed because he didn't win. But like, you know, if you look at it from a different perspective, like he, you know, smashed his best time you know, second fastest all time and, you know, probably excelled his goal. So, you know, if you focus on that, you'll both be like, you know, more happy and also just having better control over it. Yeah, for sure. I think there's certainly, uh, there's certainly a way to look at it like, like that. And I think it's important, you know, to take back control of your swimming. And, and um, I like the way you put it in terms of, having having this um ability to feel like you're in control you know i think that's the most important thing because i i do believe that you can control your performances which then ultimately lead to a controlled result you know if you if you are focused on a certain time and this is how i'm going to get to that time and this time will then most likely either put me in the final or put me on the podium, then that's kind of where you'll end up, you know? And I think that's what, I think that's a great way to look at it and, and to shoot for, you know? Um, you're not just saying I'm, I'm going to be there and I'm going to be happy to be there. You know, I'm going there for a specific goal. And if that gets me where, where I want to be, then great, you know, but otherwise I'll be happy that I got there. But, um, you know, I always saw you as a, fierce competitor in the water man when you when that gun went off and you took off you were an animal you you were very competitive and then like i said off the deck you know on the deck you were just very polite and very thankful but um i mean how do you approach your racing what kind of attitude do you go in with before a race and then during the race so it's changed quite a lot especially after after I quit working, or I guess, you know, this, uh, this time period after graduating college, so I'll put it that way. Um, around, yeah, so, you know, you, you, you described that curiosity, and that's something that I tried to have before every race. And, you know, I had to be, like, extremely warmed up, ready to go, you know, you know setting the mind into attack mode and, um, you know, going for it immediately as a, as a as that whistle went off but now I, I it's it's funny i'm seeing more success by approaching the races with as much calmness as i as i possibly can obviously being very ready but having sort of a calm and and, and very relaxed attitude about it has taken so much pressure off every race that i have and I truly believe that's what's been allowing me to go best times, especially in, in, in short course meters right now and at, at Euros after I trained three months with Sergio. 
um, you know, at that meet, I was, it was, um, the entire focus was just about, you know, in the, in the ready room, all I did, you know, did like maybe a, a quick, small little, little dry island to get the blood flowing. But after that, it was just, you know, about sitting there, you know, taking in all the energy from the atmosphere, like breathing it in, breathing all, you know, doubts and fears out. And then just raising and, and, and a, you know, being able to focus on having fun with the whole experience that you have. Um, I think that's something that was I was unable to really could focus on in college. It was just more about like having to be like you know that extreme competitor, and and now when I when I approach it, it's uh, at least that's what I'll you know do going to Tokyo, just taking from like complete like controlled and and a controlled attitude and, and focusing on having fun. So I mean obviously racing still as hard as I can, but that sort of you know allows you to be sort of loose and and not tied yeah it's a it's kind of a change in emotion but i think it's a change for the better yeah sounds like it man and uh sounds like there's a maturity attached to that as well that uh, uh comes probably. with that relaxation you know but but you're right you get caught up in college you've got a bunch of guys around you slapping each other and uh screaming well, yeah. at each other and wanting to score points and you know, and there's teams that are very competitive with each other. And then all of a sudden you become this professional athlete. You're out there on your own and no one really cares uh, as much as you do. So you, you, you feel isolated. You, you do have to take a different mental approach to it. Um, hey, you know, are you excited about the prospect of West Wings going with, you know, the International Swim League and things like that? Is that something that maybe you want to stick around for and try out? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, just in general, having that opportunity, um, that is something that is amazing for all swimmers today. You know, I mean, I just, and if you really think about it from a, um, you know, how swimming will evolve as a sport, you know, if you, I mean, this is like the whole reason why the ISL started in, in, in the first place. Like if you, if you were a swimming fan and you wanted to watch swimming, there was no product available. And now, you know, team of people who are investing and building up swimming as a product you know for people that enjoy it and because of that we are allowing you know swimmers like me and swimmers who are going to be graduating college soon to have the opportunity to you know go pro and take that decision because like you know previously guys like me wouldn't have the opportunity to you know sustain themselves uh financially you know unless you had you know, great uh, backing from your federation, which, you know, is a whole different animal because it's very, um, you know, it's very, you know, countries take a different approach to funding their athletes. Uh, some are, you know, not as fortunate as others, but now all of a sudden you have this entity and this, you know, opportunity for people to really dedicate their lives towards swimming after college, you know, whereas that was not an option before. So, you know, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. For sure, man. And I, I haven't made this official yet, uh, but, but I have agreed to be part of the LA current again for the second season with, with Lenny Kraselberg as an assistant coach. So if it's something that you're interested in, I'll tell you that, uh, you know, I'd definitely be interested in, in you swimming for us if that's, uh, something you'd like to do beyond Tokyo. So keep it in mind. All right. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Um, now listen, so, so, What's next then? Where, where do you compete next? And then, um, 
and then what happens right before Tokyo? Yeah, so I will just pretty much follow Grandmaster Sergio. Um, we're going to we're going to um, go to Canadian Nationals, um, and then after that, we will go to Indianapolis to race at the Tier Pro Series. Um, and then following that, we're still trying to, you know, formulate the plans, but, you know, probably, you know, do a, do a training camp, um, you know, uh, shorten the time gap between, between us and us in Tokyo and then get some races in, you know, in June. And then, and then I think it's just, yeah, getting, getting ready for the big stage. So yeah, talking about it now, it's actually funny how, how short time away it is. Uh, time does fly. So, so yeah, I think it's, I think it'll be a very fun, fun and, and exciting, you know, time period, both put in good work. And I'm also, you know, fortunate to have a great team, you know, that I'm able to train with to make every practice more fun and uh, make this process special. Well, cool, man. Well, thanks for checking in with us. Um, I think you're a fascinating story and I wish you all the best in the lead up to Tokyo. And I hope that, I hope you can do your country proud by either getting in the final or even, you know, take a swing and get on that podium, man. I think, I think it's wide open and, uh, and you're as talented as anybody else in the world out there who, and, and, and uh, you're an amazing athlete for people that haven't seen you swim before. I, I, I'm excited for them to follow you along now. Hopefully they listen to this and, and we'll want to follow your results pretty closely. Okay. Thank you for uh, allowing me to uh, share my story. Yeah, man. Well, good luck and we'll talk to you soon, Anton. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye.